Father's Day. And uh, I don't know about uh, all fathers, but I'm sure some fathers feel like uh, it's Father's Day every day. Uh, with, uh, with two football matches on a day, does it, does it get any better than that? And then highlights in the evening. And uh, to top that, uh, you know, England actually winning a match, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's great, isn't it? Father's Day. Um, but uh, it seemed appropriate uh, to look at a story in the, bar, in the Bible about a father. And maybe the most famous and well-known story uh, in the Bible about a father. And that, of course, comes in, in Luke uh, 15. And uh, we read it to you. And uh, it's a great story, isn't it? Um, we know it well. <clears throat> uh, we love it. Uh, maybe it's the greatest story Jesus uh, told. Um, I've preached on this story many times. Um, but very often what happens when, uh, when I'm preaching on this story is um, I, I kind of focus on the, on the younger son. Because that's where the bulk of the story is, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, you know, it's a dramatic story. It's a, it's a great story because it has all those ingredients. You know, it starts off with that uh, nice picture of the father with two sons and one son rebels and goes off. We know the story. It's great. Um, but actually, um, the story isn't just about the younger son. In fact, uh, Jesus uh, didn't call this story the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. You know that in the Bible, um, they kind of uh, the headings and the and the footnotes and even the, the verses and the chapters are a later edition. Uh, you know, by editors who've been editing the Bible. And so when we come to this, uh, we have the heading of the, the parable of the lost son, or sometimes it's called the parable uh, of the prodigal son. That's what we know this story as, but it isn't the name that Jesus gives to the story. Jesus called it um, a story <clears throat> of two sons. A story about two sons. He says, um, <clears throat> there was a man who had... Two sons. And uh, this morning I want to um, kind of home in on the older son rather than the younger son. Often when I'm preaching on this um, passage, one of the reasons why I uh, tend to lean towards the younger son is because I am the younger son. I've got an elder brother. Um, You know, I can fit myself very neatly into the, the younger son. Um, I had an elder brother who was near perfect. Uh, I failed my 11 plus. He not only passed his 11 plus, but he won a free scholarship to Manchester Grammar School. Um, He went on to university to study uh, history and uh, and got top marks. I went to work uh, in a a local warehouse and I was filling shelves. Um, He never got into trouble. And uh, you won't believe this because you look at me and think what a splendid chap. But I was always getting into trouble. Uh, So I can really identify with the younger son. Um, But actually when when we do that, when we identify with the younger son, uh, what we're doing is we're identifying with the hero of the story. 
And it's quite glamorous, really, because uh, it's a great story. It's a, it's a great gospel story of somebody who, who, goes, who goes off the rails, but comes to that moment of realisation and returns to the Father. And we can use that story in all sorts of situations to speak of the importance of coming to that point, of realising that we've made a mess and, and recognising that we need our Father God. And uh, we can preach sermons like that, you know, till the cows come home. Uh, it's great. Um, but actually what I've come to realise is actually, um, <clears throat> if I'm honest, although I don't like it, I'm actually more like the elder brother. I'm more like the elder brother. You see, I want to talk about the father's heart this morning. And the father's heart is for the lost. God has a heart for the lost. God has a heart for the lost. In Luke 15, it's spelt out for us in three fantastic parables. You know, the lost sheep. Uh, a story about, uh, you know, a shepherd who reaches out to the, the sheep that's lost. He leaves the 99 and goes in search of the lost. A story of the lost coin of the woman who, who loses a coin and goes and searches for the coin. And of course... The story of the lost son. Uh, Jesus is, is telling this, these parables to say, this is what God is like. His heart is for the lost. He has a heart for the lost. But then, we get this older brother. Meanwhile, in verse 25, oh yeah, it's not just a story about the son that was lost. It's also about the story of the son that stayed at home. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Let's not forget the older brother. Because if I'm honest, I think, although I quite like to identify with, my, with the younger son for the reasons I've already mentioned, I think I have a tendency to be more like the elder brother. And I suspect that if you are honest and examine your hearts... That sometimes you fell, fell, you'll find yourself falling into that syndrome of the older brother. Uh, Henry Newman, in his excellent book called The Return of the Prodigal, says this, really. He says, it's hard for me to concede that this bitter, resentful, angry man might be closer to me in a spiritual way than the lustful younger brother. Yet the more I think about the elder son the more I recognise myself in him. I was really struck by those words because um, as I looked at this story, I could say with Henry Newen, the more I look at this story, the more I see the elder brother in me. And uh, that's the challenge for us today, not to be the elder brother. I think that the um, the elder brother might actually be the key to the story. Because if we go back to the beginning of Luke and see why Jesus tells these three parables, he's telling it as a result of the Pharisees and teachers of the law complaining about Jesus. It says that now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around him to hear him, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They weren't happy about the fact 
that Jesus was associating with people who were lost. They didn't see God as being a person who had a heart for the lost. That wasn't their idea of God. And Jesus comes along and he associate, mixes and even eats with people the Pharisees and teachers of the law would have not had anything to do with. And we see something of this Pharisaical nature within the elder brother. In fact, when Jesus tells a parable very often, the sting is in the tail. And the tale really is about an elder brother who doesn't want to join in. Who doesn't want to celebrate when the lost are found. Do you notice in the three parables in Luke, they all end with a celebration. When the lost sheep is found, there's a celebration. When the lost coin is found, there's a celebration. When the lost son returns home, there's a celebration. And the point of the whole parable is there are people who don't want to celebrate when the lost are found. And those were the Pharisees and tax collectors and elder brothers and dare I say it's people within the church today who don't want to celebrate the fact that our God has a heart for the lost. God heart for the lost. And it's about getting to know what God, God's heartbeat is, is, is about. I read somewhere, I don't know if this is right, there's enough doctors amongst us and medical people. To, I read somewhere, I think, that every individual human being has a different heartbeat. Is that right? I'm looking to the doctors. I don't know. Slightly different? I don't know. They're, they're, they're shrugging their shoulders. They don't know. I better, I better not. It may be. It may be that it may not be. But anyway, um, the point is that the elder son's heart wasn't beating in the same rhythm as his father's heart. The elder son's heart wasn't beating with the same rhythm as, the elder, as, as his father's heart. He was out of beat with what his father was doing. And there's a real danger that sometimes as a church we can actually become out of beat with what God wants. And what God is doing. We can actually become out of beat Meaning, you know, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the religious people. They served God daily. That's what they did. They were the people that went to the temple and said the prayers. They were the religious people. And yet, Jesus is suggesting in this parable that their hearts were out of beat with what God was doing. And it always frightens me that. Because... We are the Pharisees and teachers of the law. We are the religious people. And it's so easy for our hearts to become out of beat with what God is doing. God has a heart for the lost. All these years, this is what the the elder son says to the father. All these years, I've been slaving for you. Do you feel the, the, the anger there? All these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Do you feel the resentment there in all these years' service? This hasn't been, friends, this has not been uh, a joyful service. This elder son has not served his father full of joy and uh, willingness. There's been resentment there. And you know, 
it pains me to say this, but I've, I've seen this in the church. Not just this church, I've seen it in every church. People who are faithful servants, don't get me wrong, but they serve God with an element of resentfulness. Nobody else ever tidies up. It's always left to me. Nobody else ever sets the chairs. I, I always have to move the chairs. Nobody comes to the prayer meeting. It's, it's just, just, just just faithful few that come along and pray. Whenever we ask for volunteers, it's always the same people that come along. And it's so easy to slip into that elder brother syndrome. We're serving God, but with a resentful heart. Because we look at other people and we compare. And what we're saying really is, it ain't fair. They're getting away with doing nothing while I'm left at home doing all the work. And it can make us bitter and resentful people. And our heart can become out of beat with God's heart that beats and aches for the lost. And it's a dangerous place to be. He probably gets the top bunk too. I like that. Uh, for those of you who have got children, you will know how how difficult it can be for you know when one child gets something and another child doesn't, and how unfair life can be. How come she gets to stay up till this time when I have to go to bed? How come she gets to go here? How come he gets this and I don't get that? There's that resentment that builds up as we compare ourselves. I mean, it happens in the church. How come he's got all the gifts and I've got nothing? How come, you know, God's given this person so much? How come they seem to get away with a, a decent life with any problems when I seem to be, my life seems to be full of heartache and problems? It ain't fair. And it's the elder brother's heart. As we compare one another with each other and say, it isn't fair. And it's a dangerous place to be. Probably gets the top bolt too. I came across uh, uh, this little uh, hymn that was kind of uh, a rewritten for the elder brother. That fantastic hymn about God's amazing grace. Uh, somebody's put these words in the elder brother's um, I'm having a bit of problems with my little clicker. Oh, I'm not going to get it. Never mind. I'll read you the first verse because it. Unless it's. uh, No, I've not got it. Through many. Uh, sorry, annoying grace, how shrill the sound that saved a wretch like thee. I never was lost, I'm always found. Me blind, say, can you see? Through many damsels, joints and dares, you have already come. Disgrace you brought, dad's gone too far, and welcomed home a bum. Father's heart beats for the lost. The father's heart beats for the lost and uh, you hear it in the elder brother's resentment and uh, 
I just wonder, do we actually resent the fact that God is so graceful? Do we actually ever resent it? Do we actually ever think, you know, you can imagine that the older brother said, would well, might be thinking, well, yeah, let him come home, but let him show that he's sorry. Let him demonstrate it by working as a hired hand, because that would seem to be fairer and more just if he did that. But don't just forgive him. And of course, the most, the most outrageous thing, not just that he accepts him, but he throws a party for him. He froze a party. Do you know, did you hear it in the elder brother's words? You killed a fatted calf for him. We, I didn't even get a goat. And you killed a fatted calf. And he's outraged at his father's grace. That's what's annoying him. The fact that his father is so full of grace. Do you find it easy to forgive? Do you find it easy to, uh, to accept when people make mistakes? Or do you want to see a little bit of justice? Do you want to see a little bit of fairness? Uh, do you actually like the idea of people being punished for what they've done? Because some Christians do. Some Christians delight in it. And... Uh, you know, Rob Bell in his, his bottle of winds, which caused a whole lot of uh, controversy, dared to suggest that God wants to save everybody. And Christians didn't like it. And they, and they were quick to say that, oh, God's a God who judges people and, and condemns people to hell. And they seem to take delight in saying that. And they seem to get very upset and question whether Rob Bell could actually really be an evangelical if he's dared to suggest that God wants to save any, everybody. When really we actually know God doesn't want to save everybody because uh, it's there in the Bible all over the place. God wants to save everybody. And the question Rob Bell asks is does God get what he wants at the end of the day? And that's what upset people. The idea that there might be people in heaven that we don't like or approve of. Imagine that. How terrible would that be? How terrible would that be? And Rob Bell dared to suggest or challenge the idea of an eternal torment in the fires of hell. Which again, Christians, some Christians like that idea. I can't imagine why. <laughs> but some Christians seem to delight in it. Uh, the idea that some people will be eternally tormented forever and ever because they've done something wrong. Of course the things that we do wrong are quite okay and, and we ask for forgiveness and that's okay. But do we find it difficult? Do we slip into that elder brother mode a little bit too easily? And are outraged at the grace of God. The father's heartbeat is for the lost. And then finally the, harvest, the father's heartfelt plea is to the lost. The father's heartfelt plea. In each parable, the person goes out and seeks that which is lost. And the irony in the parable we're looking at about two sons is that both sons were lost. You see, the elder son, there's, there's a, the, the, the saddest part in, in, in the story is when it says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He refused to join in the party. He refused to celebrate what his father was doing because he didn't like it. 
It didn't seem right. It didn't seem fair. It didn't seem just. It didn't seem holy. That this younger son that had gone and wasted all his father's things should be allowed back in. But what does the father do? So his father went out and pleaded with him. Didn't just ask him and say, oh, come on, come in. He pleaded with the elder brother to come in. And there's a sense in which, you know, God pleads with us to join in in the party. To have that heart for people that are lost. For our hearts to beat to the same rhythm as God's heart. Maybe this morning um, you find it easy or maybe you don't find it easy to identify uh, with the elder son. I do. I know that I can quite easily fall into that pattern of complaining about the things that I do in service of God. Of, of, of feeling that others don't have to work quite as hard. It's so easy and it robs us of the joy of serving God. It robs us of the joy that is serving God. The elder brother refuses to come in. And I've met so many people over the years that will refuse to come in. They they think they're already in. They're in the church every Sunday. But they refuse to join in the celebration of what God is doing with the lost. They think the church belongs to them. You hear them say, this is my church and I've been here for however many years. I've even heard in a church meeting, somebody say, well, I'll be here long after the minister's gone. This is my church. And of course, those sorts of people don't want new people to come in. They don't want the lost to come in because it makes the church messy. It makes the church complicated. It makes the church noisy. I was at a church Sunday school anniversary a few weeks ago speaking. And uh, when I was speaking to the church secretary, she said, oh, by the way, we don't have any children or young people. I said, okay, right, I want, I presume you don't want a children's talk then, do you? No, that's okay. Uh, But there was a sadness in that church and a longing, you know, a praying for families and young people to come back into that church. And so if you ever feel like complaining about, you know, the noise in church of the children, remember there were, there were churches around that will be glad for the shouting and dancing and singing of the children. And parents, please don't worry if your children make a noise because I love the noise of children. I love the sound of children's voices. I love to see children running around because that's what they do. They run around in church and they make a noise and I thank God for them. Because God's heart is to reach every single person. And he delights when his people come into the house and worship him. And he doesn't mind if the minister starts late or things don't quite go to plan. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want our service that's given out of an ungrateful heart, a bitter heart. He wants us to rejoice in what he's doing. And of course, the annoying thing about this story is 
We don't know what happened. We don't know whether the elder brother came in. It's all left up in the air. And I don't know about you, but I want to know what happened next. It's like one of those irritating television series that you watch for six weeks and it's a complicated thing and at the end of it you think, well, what was that about? What about this? What about that? You've not told me what happened to that person. You've left me all in a muddle. I wish I'd never started watching it. I'm not going to buy the box set and torture myself again. Rob Bell says in his fantastic book, Drop Like Stars, what an odd way to end the story. If this story was a film, it would end with the father's words and then the camera would pan back, showing the party in the background. You hear the clinking of silverware and laughter and the thump of the bass drum on the dance floor and then the screen would fade to black and the credits would roll. Jesus leaves the story unresolved. We never find out what happened, what the older brother decides to do. Jesus doesn't give us the proper Hollywood ending we've all come to expect. He leaves it open-ended because he's telling this story to those Pharisees and teachers of the law that won't join in, that won't celebrate. And he leaves it open-ended because he's really poising the question, will you come in? Pleading with them to join in in what God is doing. The father's heartfelt plea for the lost. And this is what he says, this is his reply to his son. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You see, the son's been there all the time and he didn't realize that it was all his. Because he was so bitter and resentful of having to serve his father. He didn't realize that the treasure was his. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother. You see, he said, this brother, this son of yours, as if he wanted to wash his hands of him. And the father reminds him that this is your brother. And you know, when we look at the lost, when we look at people outside and inside the church that are lost, we need to have God's heart for them. We need to reach out to them and extend that hand of welcome, that heartfelt plea to join in with what God is doing. We have to celebrate because your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The question is, will we come in? Will we join the party?